Well, we are in week four of the whole shebang, and in 2010, we're committing the entire year to looking at the grand, epic story, the whole shebang, God's overall story. And so here we are in week four of about 35, so it's going to be quite, uh, quite the journey for us this year. And um, I, I invite you to, if you brought your binders, hopefully you bring your binders, bring your Bibles with you as we go on this journey. There are binders uh, in the lobby if you haven't picked one up yet. Each week, we'll get a piece of paper that fits in there. Could you tell me what the first tab in your binder says? What does the first tab in your binder say? Exodus. Exodus. Now, why would it say Exodus? We haven't even talked about Exodus yet. Why doesn't it say creation? Why doesn't it say startup? The reason it says Exodus is that there are two central, pivotal stories to the Old Testament journey. Two central stories, both of them start with E, and they are the first two tabs in your binder. The, the, over, the, over these first few months, we are looking at these two incredibly significant stories. These two stories must be understood in order to embrace what the Old Testament is saying to us. These two grand stories are the Exodus and the Exile. That's why the first two tabs are Exodus and, and the exile. Now, our goal for this series is that your heart would be transformed. But with regard to the information piece, the information, if you get nothing out of these first few months, may you embrace two concepts, Exodus and exile. Exodus and exile. Now, we're in week four. We haven't even mentioned the Exodus yet. So far we've talked about the characters and the setting. There's three characters. There's God the pursuer, there's us the beloved, and then there's the Satan who's trying to split the whole thing up. We've kind of set everything up. We're just getting started because now we're jumping in to the Exodus story. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Exodus. It's the second book in the Old Testament, we're going to look at chapter 1. And just to remind you where we left off last week, Joseph, who had the uh, amazing Technicolor dream coat uh, last week, he was saved by God. God was with him, and he went into Egypt where he ended up saving the lives of his brothers and his family by bringing them to Egypt to give them something to eat in the midst of the drought. So this, this family, this nation that God set up started to grow and develop in Egypt. And here's where the story picks up in the book of Exodus. Verse 6, now Joseph, we are many generations past now. Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them. Might I remind you of the covenant, the blood covenant that God made with Abraham, with his people that we talked about last week. It is a covenant where God said, I will be your God, you'll be my people, and you will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. This is the, this is the ongoing fulfillment of God's covenant that He will make a new nation, a powerful nation. Then continuing in verse 8, Then a new king, who did not know about Joseph, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, if you're a king in Egypt, you have to have a deeper voice than what I have. 
The Israelites have become much too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous, and if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So here we have a new Pharaoh. Doesn't give a rip about Joseph, doesn't give a rip about that history, that story. But he is threatened, deeply threatened by this growing, powerful nation of Israelites. Thousands upon thousands of people now. He becomes threatened, and what he does is he initiates genocide, killing the newborn boys among these Hebrew people. Just wipe them out. Reduce the population. And for those who were adults, for the uh, men of the Israelites, he submitted them to slavery. Slavery in Egypt to continue to build the, uh, the, the, the cities, the Egyptian uh, cities there. Um, and people cried and screamed and screamed. <laughs> When all this was happening, I'm trying to create a, a mood here. <laughs> Thanks for the prop. It was fantastic. So, so this was hard. This was a difficult, difficult uh, uh, time for, uh, for the Hebrew people. I'm a little lost now. <laughs> Just letting you know. <laughs> when I, when, so, but here, but this is the story. This, this, this is the story. So now, th this king, this new king is deeply, deeply threatened. And so what, what, what God does with these people who are now in slavery is He, he invites a, an, a hero among the people. A hero named Moses. It's an incredible story that unfortunately we don't have time to get into now. And Moses is protected as a little baby. And then the whole burning bush thing, awesome, great stuff. Moses then, as, as an adult who grew up in the Egyptian palace, he was, he's a Hebrew who grew up in the Egyptian palace. He was torn between his Hebrew roots and his Egyptian upbringing. This, this man that God created for that moment, Moses, eventually comes before Pharaoh. This, this man that he grew up with. They were boys together. And he comes before him and he says, let my people go. It's the only way I can say that. You have to sing it. Let my people go. And what he does is he launches into the ten plagues to say that, that, that Pharaoh, if you don't let the people go, then, then nasty things are going to happen to the Egyptian people. Now, these plagues are not just kind of these random weird things that God was just kind of set our imagination up for great horror movies later on in life. These plagues had a purpose. Each one of these plagues went after the little g gods that the Egyptians were worshiping. That these Egyptians were trusting in things other than the one mighty God. They were trusting in a number of other things. And these plagues were chipping away at each of the things that the Egyptians were trusting in. The first plague, I won't go through all of them, but just as a sample. First plague was turning the River Nile into blood. They worshipped the Nile River. It was the source of fresh water. It was the source of life. And so with the first plague, God was saying, you're trusting the river. I'll turn it into blood. Don't trust in that. Trust me. The second plague was the plague of frogs. And for some reason, the goddess of fertility for the Egyptians had a frog's head. 
I don't get that. I don't get that. Warts and all, a frog's head is what the goddess of fertility has. So the second plague is, you like frogs? I'll give you more frogs than you could possibly imagine. They're climbing all over the food, doing the whole thing. Frogs, you want to trust in frogs? I'll give you frogs. They're not the place for you to trust in. Trust in me. I'm your God. And that is the same story with the flies and the gnats and the hail and the livestock, etc. Down the road, these are all things that they were trusting in. And God was saying, trust in me. Trust in me. We get to the ninth plague, which is the plague of darkness. And this went after their mighty sun god, Ra. And God even says through the darkness, don't even trust in that. That's not the God that you are to trust in. I am God alone. The whole point of, of, of the exodus and of our conversation this morning is the issue of trusting God. Can I trust God? And this all sets the stage for the 10th plague. The 10th plague was where God said that the presence of the Lord would pass over the people and any home that did not have blood smeared on the doorpost, in any home where blood was not smeared on the, door, on the doorpost, the firstborn child, firstborn would be killed. Now, what this meant was that it wasn't the Egyptians who were going to have firstborns killed and then the Hebrews who were going to have firstborns saved. If an Egyptian decided, I'm going to put the blood of the lamb on my doorpost, that child would be saved. If a Hebrew decided not to do that, the child would not be saved. Remember we talked about last week the, the, you know, the presence of blood as a part of the covenant? This was not gross for them. This was hugely symbolic for them. And, and God passed over that night and there was great weeping and mourning. And once again, a, a place that they were putting their trust in got broken because the Pharaoh's son himself this future king, future God, they viewed Pharaoh as God, was killed. God was saying, you, you can't trust in that. Trust in me. And, he, and, and finally, Pharaoh lets the people go, and they cross over the Red Sea, the whole story uh, that you, you know, you've seen in the movies, the whole kind of thing, and they cross through the Red Sea. Amazing. Later on in Scripture, it says that there were about 600,000 men, which when you add women and children, you're looking at about... They estimate about 3 million people. 3 million people making this trek out of Egypt across the Red Sea. 3 million. You think it's crowded when you leave the stadium at a Cardinals game? 3 million people. Now, if they were leaving a Cardinals game, this would have been winning the, the grand old Super Bowl. Wow, mega. They were walking out of this place going, Yeah! Yeah! God is good! Happy to be Hebrew! Happy to be Hebrew. Did you see the water on the side? That was awesome. This is fantastic. You know how long their high lasted? Jump with me to uh, chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. Verse 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. Jump to 1524. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Three days. It lasted three days. The most triumphant, liberating, central story of the Old Testament, 
The celebration lasted three days. Three days. Now, it's a reasonable question. I'm thirsty. Where am I going to find water? It's a reasonable question. But Scripture makes it very clear that they were grumbling. Grumbling. And there's nothing cool, nothing courageous, nothing good comes out of grumbling. There's nothing good that comes out of grumbling. God provides for them. God reminds them, you can trust me. God provides water for them. And then they complain again. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 16. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is now called Las Vegas. Just kidding. Uh, (laughs) Which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. 15th day, second month, about 45 days. Uh, In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Forty-five days later, and they wish the whole event didn't even happen. Forty-five days later, and they've drifted so far from trusting God. And so God gives them an incredible gift, a daily reminder for them to trust God. He provides food for them. Jump to verse 13. That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Do you know how to say, what is it, in Hebrew? Mana! Mana! It's manna. Manna. Manna from heaven. You've heard from the, the mighty manna from heaven. It just means, what is it? So, so when your kids are complaining because of what's in front of them, and they're all grumbling, and they say, yeah, what is it? You can say, yes, directly from heaven, my child. Directly from heaven. Or you know what the uh, hip version of manna is? What it is. Okay, I won't do that second service, but, but, but we're having fun here anyway. So, so there's something particularly interesting about manna. Jump to verse 19. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning everyone gathered as much as he needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. What is so important about manna is that it came daily, one day at a time. God was saying, don't get ahead of yourselves. Even when things go great, don't run off and get ahead of yourselves. You take care of one day at a time. Jesus echoes this sentiment so clearly. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will have We'll, we'll, there'll be enough to worry about tomorrow. Take care of today. And in his prayer that we just sang about, the Lord's Prayer, he invites us, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day. Elsewhere in Scripture, uh, it says that the Word of God is a light to our feet, a lamp to our path, that we don't get the whole room lit. We get this part right in front of us, the part right in front of our next step. That's the part that gets lit. 
So trusting God means, says, okay, I, I can do this today. I can do this today. It's not about having the whole picture laid out for us. We get frustrated sometimes when we can't see the whole thing. God says, trust me. Trust me with this part. I will shine a light on this next step. The beauty of that is that when you wake up in the morning, you don't have to carry the weight of the whole next year. This morning when you, when you woke up, you don't have to carry the weight of 2010. You just need to ask God and trust God for the courage and the wisdom and the strength to get through today. One day. Because God will be trusted again tomorrow when you wake up. Because the manna will be there. Those who are in recovery fully understand this. Don't, don't set yourself so far away that you're going to get bombarded by the weight of what you have to go after one day at a time. One moment at a time. Now, how does God imprint this on His people? He lets them experience the daily manna for a whole lot of days. The journey coming out of Egypt, going from Egypt to the promised land, which is the land of Canaan, which is current, currently modern-day Israel, that journey should have taken them a few days. It took them, many of you know, 40 years. 40 years to take a trip that should have taken a few days. Those 40 years were for God to say, trust me daily, trust me today, trust me today, trust me today. Let me instill this into you. Trust me, trust me. Now this would have driven me crazy. This would have, I am a destination person. I'm not a journey person. When, when we're on a long drive, I am calculating all the time, I'm looking at the odometer, looking at the road signs, and I know exactly how far we are and what the distance is. Some of you are nodding your head because you're as freaky as me with this whole deal. My wife at any time can say, how far are we? I'll say 213 miles. <laughs> I know exactly where we are. And, and yet God, sometimes when He wants to do something in our lives, He is going to use the journey. It, it is the process so often where the transformation occurs. We get so focused on the destination, we're going to get that job. Then life will be good. Then I can connect with God. I'm going to get that person. I'm going to get that girl, get that boy, get that grade, get that degree. And then I'll be a strong, healthy person. God so often wants to take the process to do the transformation. And in their story, it took 40 years. 40 years. God wanted to burn it into them. Trust me. Trust me. This is so consistent throughout the whole shebang. Trust me. Soon after this, Moses brings the Ten Commandments down from the, from the Mount Sinai. And commandment number four, we talked about this about a year ago here, but commandment number four is to remember the Sabbath, to take a break, to take a break. On that, on that seventh day. You work six days, then you take a break. Don't work, even though I know your finances would improve if you worked on that day. Trust me. Don't work. Don't worry about working. Take a break. Trust me. Your heart needs it. You need it. I want to be with you that day. Trust me. This flows into the New Testament. Jesus is tempted in the desert by the third character in the story, the Satan who wants to mess up this developing relationship between God and His beloved people. And, and Satan tempts Jesus in the desert, and each time it is a temptation of who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust me, what I can give you right now, 
or are you going to trust God? And each time Jesus chooses God and quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. Here, words of Moses way back in around this story of the Exodus. Each time Jesus quotes back to Deuteronomy saying, I choose to trust in God. I will not live by bread alone. I will not test my God. This is so consistent throughout the whole shebang story. Now, why is this such a big deal? Why is it such a big deal to trust God? Why would God care if we trust Him or not? Is that a reasonable question? Why would God care if we trust Him or not? Because He knows that it all has to start with trust. It has to start with trust. See, toddlers, toddlers don't know how to love mom and dad. Parents, I'm sorry to break the news to you. Toddlers don't know how to, they don't have the capacity to love. They don't. Toddlers don't uh, 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 either have self-speak or even say out loud. They don't say, you know what? I've been kicking and screaming for quite some time here in this crowded Target store. And, and I know that this is of some embarrassment to you, mother and father. And so I think it's time for me to quit doing that. They don't do that. They don't, do, they don't, they don't have the ability to think outside of themselves enough in order to love. But they can trust. A toddler is not developed enough to be able to love, but a toddler can trust. And so as far as a connection between people, it doesn't start with love. It starts with trust. So you look at the whole shebang. Step back, look at the whole grand shebang. And our mission is to love God. It's about character one, having a restored relationship with character number two, God and us. That's the story. There's a restored relationship with there for us to love God. But it has to start with trust. Before we can love Him, can we trust Him? So here in Exodus, here the, 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 the second book in the Bible, very early in the story, God takes the first five books of the Bible to set up the story of Exodus, a story that says, trust me. One day at a time, trust me. Now, our mission is not just to love God but it's also to love other people. It's to love others. And we can't love others until we trust them as well. We're to love God and love others. We can't love God until we trust God. We can't love others until we trust others. And there's plenty of reason for us to not trust each other. There's plenty of reasons for trust to be broken among us. But a month ago, just after Christmas, a uh, salesman came by my house and uh, was selling this product, and he was a nice guy. I typically don't have much patience for this deal, but this was a nice guy. He just had a great kind of personality. He was working hard, obviously, and, and so I said, I want to help this guy out. I'll buy your product. I'll go ahead and buy it, this thing, and uh, $34 bottle of cleaner, da 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 And uh, so then that was about a month ago. This, this week, I realized that there was an unauthorized check that came out of my banking account because I wrote a check for the, for the product that I got for him. And there was an unauthorized check that came out of my bank account for $2,200. And I discovered that all you need is a check with a routing number and an account number in order to pull this off. Let me tell you, it all starts with trust and I'm having a hard time loving this salesman. <laughs> I'm, out, you know, I'm having a hard time 
loving this guy. My thoughts about this guy who came to my house are not of great love. But that's just money. Most of us here in this room have much deeper reasons to struggle with loving somebody because of trust issues. Some of us in this room have reasons to struggle with love and to struggle with trust of others because of a trusted family member or a trusted friend of the family who did something that was not right. Or maybe it was mom and dad, this trusted person who left or did something that was not right. Maybe it's a spouse that you are trying to continue to love, but the trust is broken because that person was unfaithful. Many of us have plenty of reasons not to trust. And therefore, a huge struggle with loving. That's why this is such a huge deal. This is a huge deal. God says at the very beginning of the whole shebang, says, trust me. Trust me, because that will make you a trusting person. And as a trusting person, you can trust others. It's the same story with love. We're told to love God, love others. Love God, love God. That will make you a loving person. That will be how you think, how you flow. And then as a result, you will love others. God says, trust me, trust me, because I'm not sure we can truly love God or truly love others without the foundation of trusting God, that God will provide, that God is good. God created us. God has His eye over all. There's a foundation of trust there, an essential foundation of trust there. Some of you may have heard of a man named Dan Woolley who was trapped under the rubble in Haiti as a result of the earthquakes that went on there. Uh, Dan uh, is an American who was a missionary up there for quite some time. He has a wife and two young boys, ages three and six. And Dan was buried under the rubble for quite some time, and in the darkness and, and in, it, among his wounding, he found a, a book, a binder that he grabbed, and he grabbed a pen, and he started writing a note to his wife and to his two young boys just to make sure he could give them one last message. And this was one of the things that he wrote to his boys. His boys are three and six. I was in a big accident. Don't be upset at God. He always provides for his children, even in hard times. I'm still praying that God will get me out, but he may not. But he will always take care of you. Dan Woolley. That's a picture of his journal with his blood stains all over it as he wrote this out. Now, he survived. He was there for 65 hours, but he survived. Dan survived to be with his wife and be with his kids. But what I love about this story and about what he wrote is that he understood whatever happens here, whatever the circumstances, my, my kids, I want you to know that you can trust God because that's the foundation of all love. I want you to know, even if you don't see your dad ever again, you can still trust God. Hear the words from your earthly dad saying you can still trust God. He understood this value. 
It all starts with trusting God. Do you truly trust in your heavenly Father? Now, fortunately, Scripture gives us how we are to trust God. I want to read from just a few verses from Deuteronomy, and then we're going to finish up here. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy is the fifth book. It's the last book that is part of this Exodus story. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember. And then he he goes on. Moses goes on to to write what they are to remember what they were to remember. Remember. Now, we all have questions that we can ask God, legitimate questions. How could you have let that happen? How could you let that happen to someone I love? How could you let that happen to someone, to, to, to me? But in the midst of our good questions, we can continue to trust by remembering what God has done. We are wise to remember what God has done, either in our lives or in the lives of those we care about or in the lives of His people through Scripture. Jump to verse 32. Ask now about the former days long before your time from the day God created man on the earth. Ask from one end of the heavens to the other. Has anything so great as this ever happened? Or has anything like it ever been heard of? Has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of fire as you have and lived? Has any God ever tried to take for Himself one nation out of another nation by testings, by miraculous signs and wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, or by great and awesome deeds like all the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes? Remember. Remember. We are wise to remember what God has done. And that is so important for us as we're learning to love other people as well. That the painful stuff, that's the stuff that's easy to remember. The stuff where the trust was broken, not only is it easy to remember, it's nearly impossible to forget. We can forgive, but we don't forget. And so if you want to regain trust with that person to actually start to move towards loving that person, whether it's your spouse or your parent or a friend, can you remember something that would make you trust that person? Can you remember a time when that person was trustworthy? Go to that place. Remember something good. Allow yourself to go back and remember something trustworthy. If you're struggling in your marriage and there's a lack of trust in your marriage, which I know is pervasive in this room right now, I know it. Why'd you marry that person? Why did you fall in love with that person in the first place? There was a time, I know trust is a little difficult to to hang on to right now, but go back, remember that place where you couldn't imagine trusting anyone more. Go back and draw from that. Start somewhere. Remember and and allow the trust to start to be rebuilt. Jesus, on the night before he died, he gathered with his most trusted, beloved friends. And he knew that they loved him. He knew that. But he knew something they didn't know. He knew that they were going to suffer for their faith, for for the name of Christ. 
He knew that. And then he said to them, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it to to remember me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He gave them an experience they would never forget. And here we are thousands of years later. And we do this in remembrance of what God has done so that our trust can be firmer. I want to invite the band to come get set up. And um, ushers, I uh, invite you to get set up as well. The ushers are going to come and distribute the elements to us during this song. I invite you to take the elements and just hold them. And at the end of the song, we will take them together. Would you bow your heads with me and pray? Most of us in this room have reason to, to believe. We think we, there's reason for us not to trust you because of this thing that happened, this other thing that, that happened. God, help us to remember today that you are good. That if we don't trust you, it's because of a misunderstanding. And so, Father, I pray that here as we, as we do this in remembrance of you, that we would strengthen our trust or start building our trust in you. And God, that you would allow that to help us to become trusting people so that we can trust and love others. Come restore the places that are broken and untrusting within us, God. In the name of Jesus, amen.